Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Sticks. I'm your host, Ethan McCombs. And boy, do I have another good episode for you today. We have another player here for Hidden Gems. We're going to talk about Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman opting out of the college football season and other college football news. We also have a large variety of NFL toppers we're going to talk about with trades, signings, releases, extensions, and everything. But here we go again with Behind the Sticks. We're back with Hidden Gems. We have a player that's not really talked about as much or underrated and bring them to light so you guys know about them. So, next man up is my guy for the Cincinnati Bengals, Trey Hopkins. Just like any other player that's me on this segment, we're going to go back in time and go back to when Trey was in high school. Trey was in high school. He attended North Shore High School in Houston, Texas. This is one of the largest schools in the Houston area. I couldn't find anything on Trey's freshman year, but we're going to start out with the sophomore year. His sophomore year, he had 36 pancakes and 38 knockdowns. He anchored down a line that averaged 363 yards per game, with 207 of those coming on the ground. His team went 14-1 that year, won the district championship. They lost in the state semifinals. This year, Trey was named second team all-district, which is still a huge accomplishment being from Houston. His numbers were up. 44 pancakes, 40 knockdowns. The team averaged 376 yards per game. This year, another one loss in the regular season, another district championship, and a trip to the playoffs. I couldn't find anything else about this season, but from what I know is they just went to the playoffs and most likely lost in the first round. Trey was an All-State honorable mention by the Associated Press, first team All-Greater Houston by the Houston Chronicle, so his accolades were getting higher. When his senior year rolls around, Trey has even more pancakes than he had his first two seasons. He had 48 pancakes and 36 knockdowns. The team had a little bit of dip with only having 361 yards per game, but they were up and rushing where they had 232 yards on the ground. Even though Trey's numbers were up and the rushing yards were up, they still went 8-4 in the regular season and lost in the second round of playoffs. From this, Trey was named first team All-District. He was on the Houston Chronicles Houston 100. Again, he was first team All-Greater Houston, and this time he was the Offensive Player of the Year by the Houston Touchdown Club. This is a big accomplishment that you never see from offensive linemen. Trey's recruiting was great. He was a four-star recruit. He was number one ranked guard in Texas, and he was number 10 player in Texas, ranked 70 national. Trey also played in the 2010 U.S. Army All-American Bowl, which had other notable players such as future Pro Bowlers Keenan Allen, C.J. Mosley, and Anthony Barr. Trey was not just talented on the football field, he was also very talented and put in hard work in the classroom. Trey graduated 6th of 923 students in his class at North Shore. He was also a member of the National Honor Society, Chess Club. He played clarinet and saxophone while also singing in the choir. Trey is also a man of faith, as he was a junior deacon at Mount Olive Baptist Church. Trey is a tremendously talented young man who does not shy away from putting in extra work required to make him a great player. Trey's head coach at North Shore, Dave Amon, said this, Although he's a great football player, he's an even better young man. He has the greatest sense of right and wrong of any athlete I've ever coached. I believe that this quote from his coach speaks above any other stat line that Trey has ever had. Coming out of high school, Trey was listed at 6'4", 260, but some said he lacked size, not in height, but in the weight for his height. He had offers from Houston, Stanford, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt, but ultimately he decided to commit to the University of Texas. Trey came into Texas making an impact right off rip. He appeared in all 12 games, but made four starts because another line was going down with injury. The team averaged 383 yards per game and 101 of those were rushing. Just like in high school, it seemed like Trey was just going to keep progressing every year. Coming into his sophomore year, even though he had always played guard, Trey started all 13 games at right tackle. Texas had the 21st ranked offense in the nation, averaging 393 yards per game, 203 of those being rushing. Trey was able to help Texas win a holiday over California that year. Next season being his junior year, Trey switched back to left guard where he started 12 games. This year, Texas had the 23rd ranked scoring offense with averaging 35.7 points per game. They were also 40th in total yards, averaging 435 yards per game. Trey anchored down the third best line in the nation in terms of tackles for loss with only 4.1 per game. They were also 22nd in sacks per game with only 1.23. Trey was named second team All-Big 12 by coaches. He was a Big 12 honorable mention by the Associated Press. 
He missed a 2012 Alamo Bowl with injury, snapping a 29-game start streak. In this game, Texas beat Oregon State. Trey had another great season his senior year. He started all 12 games, 12 of those at left guard, and one at right tackle. Texas was the 36th-ranked offense in the nation that year. The team only gave up 16 sacks, which was 17th in the nation. In the game versus New Mexico State, Texas set a record of 715 total yards with 359 rushing and 356 passing. Trey won multiple team awards after the season, along with being first-team All-Big 12 by the Associated Press and second by coaches. Trey was able to graduate from Texas with a bachelor's in biology. Texas Pro Day rolls around. Trey measures in at 6'2", 307. He ran a 5.24 40-yard dash with 28 reps on the bench press. To pair those numbers to where we stack up against the other Bengals, sixth-round pick from the most recent draft, Akima Danajai, ran a 5.17 40-yard dash and 26 reps on the bench press. All this being said, Trey goes undrafted in the 2014 NFL Draft, but not long after the draft, the Bengals were calling his name to sign him as an undrafted free agent. This was just the first obstacle that Trey had to hurdle, as on August 30th, he was placed on injured reserve with a leg injury. He was released by the Bengals on final cuts in 2015, but went straight to the practice squad the day later. 2016, same thing. Cut, practice squad. But then, on December 31st, 2016, the Bengals promoted Trey to the active roster, and he started the season finale on January 1st versus the Ravens. He saw limited time, but nevertheless, it was his debut. He became a full-time starter, starting 12 games at right guard, but he missed three games due to a knee injury. This year, he only allowed one sack with only two penalties. 2018, he appeared in all 16 games, but only started nine, six of those being at center. That year, he only had two penalties, but he did give up three and a half sacks. He did lead Joe Mixon to be in the leading rusher in the AFC North in 2018. Last season, 2019, Trey was slaughtered to beat a reserve offense lineman, but due to a good preseason, he beat out Billy Price for the starting center job. Trey played and started all 16 games, only missing one snap all season. This year, he did give up six sacks, but only had one penalty. He led Joe Mixon to have another 1,000-yard rushing season. The higher amount of sacks, I believe, were due to the lack of help up front and the lack of a really good quarterback of Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. At the end of last season, Trey was rewarded with a three-year, $20.4 million contract with the Bengals. Trey was said to be the diamond in the rough of the Bengals' offense last season. Now, here we are at present day 2020. Trey is considered to be the only sure thing on the Bengals' offensive line, as the rest of the line is considered to be unproven talent, rookies, and new signings. When Trey is not playing football, he still enjoys playing saxophone and clarinet, and he actually serves as a substitute teacher in Cincinnati in the offseason, teaching math and science to grades 5 through 8. His community service ranks high with Maslow's Army, which is a homeless relief fund, as he serves on the board. Now, giving my thoughts, I think Trey's going to have even better of a season this year. He's going to have even more help up front, and with new rookie quarterback Joe Burrow coming in, being a more mobile quarterback than Ryan Finley and Andy Dalton were, I think we'll receive a reduction in the amount of sacks that Trey gives up. Well, we already know college football is going to look different this year with no Big Ten and Pac-12, but now... Georgia quarterback Jamie Newman opts out of the 2020 season due to coronavirus. Jamie Newman was up there in the possibility of getting drafted in the first round. Transferring from Wake Forest where they had a pretty impressive season last year. They were 8-4 in the regular season and barely got knocked out by Michigan State in the Pinstripe Bowl. Jamie even threw for three touchdowns in that game. Then Jamie decided to transfer to Georgia, possibly even boost his draft stock even more. He wanted to be even more on a national stage and possibly going for a national championship. But now, he opts out and he's been going to the 2021 NFL Draft. Like I said, his possibility could be a first round pick, but most likely now, he won't be. The recency bias is a real thing, and with him not seeing him in the 2020 season, this would definitely hurt him. Jamie has a big arm, he has good velocity on the ball, and can fit it into tight closing windows. Now we all know Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance will probably be the three off the board first, but still be looking out for Jamie Newman. I think he'll be a player that can go highly in the draft, but with him not playing, could definitely hurt him and possibly fall down to a second or third round pick. Now most likely, the starter for Georgia is going to be JT Daniels. JT Daniels is another transfer quarterback coming from USC. JT had an alright 2018 season with USC and had a lot of big expectations coming into last season. But ultimately in the first game against Fresno State, JT tore his ACL and his meniscus. He had season-ending surgery 
and backup quarterback Keaton Slovis absolutely took over. Keaton Slovis was an absolute touchdown machine. Now with Newman out, like I said, JT Daniels most likely going to be the starter. In high school, he was actually the touchdown machine. There was many a games where he was scoring six and seven touchdowns a game when he was at modern day. Modern day breeds college football quarterbacks. If you don't know anything about JT Daniels, this man was a modern day high school phenom. They've had huge names such as Matt Leinart, Colt Brennan, and Matt Barkley. I believe JT was still recovering from that surgery, so who knows if we're going to see him week one. But I believe a lot of people thought JT was automatically going to be the starter anyway. I think a change of scenery, not being in Southern California anymore, will absolutely boost JT to the next level. JT's been all right up to this point, but now it's time to take the next step. In other news in college football, President Donald Trump tweeted this. Had a productive conversation with Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference, about immediately starting the Big Ten football. It would be good for everyone, players, fans, country, on the one-yard line. This is a huge statement from Donald Trump, but it seems like from what I can tell, Big Ten football is still not going to happen in the fall. There's been talks about them possibly starting the season and Thanksgiving. Honestly, to me, I don't see why this makes any sense why we just push it back two months. The only sense it makes to me is that they see what the other conferences are doing and see if there's any big effects that happens to them. Big Ten is probably top two in most competitive conferences in the nation. SEC and Big Ten have absolutely ruled college football for a long time. Without the Big Ten, college football is just not the same. Without the game of Ohio State and Michigan, does that really even make it a season? I know many people around the country that know that Ohio State versus Michigan is the biggest rivalry in college football. Not even just college football, college sports in general. Ohio State and Michigan absolutely hate each other. They respect each other, but hate each other. Ohio State doesn't even say Michigan. They say the team up north. If you can't even say the other team's name, you know it's the biggest rivalry. I know what kind of effects this has up in the Great Lakes states. Big 10 reaches all the way from Nebraska, even over into New Jersey with Rutgers. Not only not having Big 10 football, they also not have Pac-12 football, which affects the whole Pacific Northwest. There's a huge top part of the nation that's not having college football this year. I know that this virus is real, but other sports have made this things work. Even the other conferences are gonna make this work. I don't understand why the Big 10 and Pac-12 can just not play football. I mean, it makes more sense for them to play. They're all in one space anyway. In college football, you're all at the same spot. Yes, you travel, but you're not scattered out as much as the professional sports are. These are just my thoughts. Now we're on the NFL news. I know I've spoken about this before, but what are the Jacksonville Jaguars doing? If you haven't been living under a rock, you know the Jaguars waved star running back Leonard Fournette earlier this week, and then he signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we'll talk more about them later. I was watching the Pat McAfee show earlier, and he pulled up the 2017 Jacksonville Jaguars roster, and 41 of the 53 names on that list are no longer on the team. This is a team that lost in the AFC Championship and almost made it to the Super Bowl, and not only is it smaller names, but huge names coming in as well. Of course, right now we have Leonard Fournette gone, Alan Hearns, Marquise Lee, Mercedes Lewis, Class Campbell, Marcel Darius, Dante Fowler Jr., Malik Jackson, Yannick Ngakwe, Paul Plusnuski, AJ Bouye, Eric Church, Telvin Smith, Jalen Ramsey, and many more. I understand you want to possibly tank to get Trevor Lawrence, but you don't have to absolutely lose the rest of the team as well. I believe that Pat McAfee said that Leonard Fournette was around 31% of their offense last year. They have Gardner Minshew. I like Gardner. Is he going to win a Super Bowl? Most likely not. Will they bring in Trevor Lawrence? Most likely. And it seems most likely they're going to have the first overall pick this year. I'm not really sure they're going to have a starter. Are they going to have Rykel Armstead or are they going to have Chris Thompson? I believe Chris Thompson's the better of the two, but he's almost 30 years old. I'm really not sure what's going on, and I'm not sure if anybody else. So, Jacksonville, if you want to tell everybody what you're doing, that'd be great. Now, the Buccaneers. I'm going to be honest. I doubted the Buccaneers. I thought maybe they were all going to be too old. But now they have an absolutely stacked roster. Of course, they have Tom Brady at quarterback. Now they have Leonard Fournette at running back alongside with Ronald Jones and LaShawn McCoy. And a receiver, you still have Mike Evans and Chris Goblin and the possible, you know, good slot receiver and Scotty Miller. Tight end. You have three good tight ends on your team already. Rob Gronkowski, OJ Howard, Cam Brait. You have a good offensive lineman. I say anchored down by Allie Marpet. They're going to have a good first round pick tackle. 
Tristan Wirfs coming in for him, Alice Kappa, Ryan Jensen, Donovan Smith. This team is absolutely stacked on the offense. And then you look at the defense, Indomitian Sue, Vita Vea, JPP, Devin White, Shaq Barrett, Levante David, rookie Antoine Winfield Jr. I just can't wrap my head around. This is the new Patriots. The Buccaneers have become the new Patriots. Teams are just feeding them players now. I knew it was up in the air that possibly Leonard Fournette could go to the Patriots or the Buccaneers. But now that he went to the Buccaneers, it's obvious that they are the new Patriots. I knew you can say that easily with having Gronk and Tom Brady, but it's true. I didn't really see the Buccaneers possibly winning 10 games, but now I can win 11-12. The only way that the team doesn't win that many games is if maybe Tom Brady gets hurt and they have to rely on Blaine Gabbard or Ryan Griffin. The Bucs do play in a tough division in the NFC South with the Saints, Falcons, and Panthers. I believe the Saints are a Super Bowl contending team and the Falcons and Panthers aren't bad either. But now the Buccaneers are absolutely stacked. Not only all those players, they have Bruce Arians at coach. I think Bruce Arians is possibly one of the best coaches we have right now in the NFL. But I guess we'll see you here in a couple weeks. But now, I believe the Buccaneers are going to be 12-4 this season. Now on to other news. There's some contracts to talk about. Andy Reid got a six-year extension on his contract with the Chiefs. This is a great deal. I think keeping Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes is going to be a fantastic thing for the future. Andy Reid is the coach that Patrick Mahomes needs. And I think it's great that they signed up for a six-year deal just in case things don't work out for the last few years of Mahomes' contract. And if they do, just sign them to a new one. But now we got to talk about my man, Joe Money Mixon. Joe Mixon signed a four-year, $48 million contract extension with the Bengals. This is an absolute fantastic deal, I believe. Yes, it makes him one of the top-paid NFL running backs, but the man deserves it. He's been good for the Bengals. He's rushed for over 1,000 yards the last two years. This deal... $48 million is even $16 million left in Chris McCaffrey. Yes, I think Chris McCaffrey is the best running back in the league, but I think paying four less million for Joe Mixon a year is fantastic. $4 million can bring in a nice quality player, and I think Joe knew that. Now with some of the load being taken off of him with Joe Burrow at quarterback, I think that we see Joe's numbers jump even more. I predict Joe to have possibly even 1,300 yards this season. Now you need to talk about Alvin Kamara. I'm not really sure what the Saints are thinking here. Kamara's been in the league for three years, and what has he done? Three Pro Bowls. He only put up 700 to 900 yards rushing each year, but he does the same exact thing in the receiving game. He's a good rushing and receiving back. Now, but pay the man. Joe Mixon just got paid. Sitting behind Kamara on the depth chart is Latavius Murray and Ty Montgomery. Murray's a 30-year-old running back. He put up pretty good numbers before. He even put up pretty decent numbers last year. He had over 600 rushing yards and five touchdowns with Kamara in the backfield as well. He had some fumble issues when he was in Oakland, but it seems like he's fixed those. But I don't think you can just pass on Alvin Kamara. With teams possibly knowing that he's in the market, I believe that all 31 other teams are probably on the phone right now. If the Saints do trade him, do not trade him to another NFC team. We know most likely he'll probably go to a team like the Patriots. But if the New Orleans Saints are smart, you do not trade this guy. Absolutely pay him. This could be a scare tech by the Saints, but it could be detrimental to the relationship. Now there's been reports that he's been at practice still, so he really knows what's going on behind closed doors. But my prediction is that they will pay him eventually and not trade him. On the Derwin James, was set to be out six to eight weeks and needed surgery on his knee, but then just yesterday the Chargers placed him on IR and said his season was over. He missed 11 games last year, and now will miss another whole season. Chargers already have one of the best secondaries in the NFL, but losing James is still huge. He was most likely the anchor of the defense. Some teams did announce starters. The Chargers did announce that they were going to start Tyrod Taylor over rookie quarterback Justin Herbert against the Bengals in the first game. Now on the flip side, we already knew Joe Burrow is going to be the starter, but the Bengals just announced that he officially is the starter for week one. And it seems like the Joe Burrow hype train is real. Now personally, I already knew this, but now everyone else is seeing it firsthand. Joe has absolutely transformed the Bengals offseason. This team has so much poise and swagger to them now. I believe 
90% of it is due to Joe. Joe's going to come out week one against the Chargers and silence the doubters. I played against this man in high school. I know what he's capable of. Granted, I know it's just high school, but he can absolutely transform any team. We saw what he did at LSU, and he's going to do the exact same for the Bengals. Mark it down right now. The Cincinnati Bengals will win a Super Bowl within the first three years of Burr's tenure in Cincinnati. With the NFL season right around the corner, the news just keeps flowing in. The report, Seattle Seahawks sign wide receiver Josh Gordon to another one-year deal upon reinstatement. I think we're just going to see the same thing that happens every single year. It's happened every single year since he was at Baylor. At Baylor in 2011, he failed a drug test and tested positive for marijuana. Rookie year in the NFL, report seemed clean. Didn't really have anything with marijuana then. 2013, he was suspended for three games. He had a good year that year. Made the Pro Bowl. Next year, 2014, Suspended for the whole year. That suspension was reduced to 10 games. He was still able to have a decently productive year in 2014. 2015, suspended the whole year again. 2016, suspended the whole year again. 2017, reinstated. It's all in limited time. 2018, he went to the Patriots and he was playing decently well. Then he said that he was going to step away from football to focus on his mental health. But then come to find out, he had an infinite ban. 2019, played some games for the Patriots. He wanted to injure reserve with a knee injury. Then he was waived. The Seahawks planned moth waivers. Just a month later, suspended indefinitely again. Now here we are today. I believe again, we're just gonna see the same exact thing happen. He'll get reinstated and then probably go down with the drug again. He's been suspended five times. I do wish him the best. I hope this time is different. I hope Josh Gordon sees what he's done and finally figures it out. He's now 29 years old, but since 2010, he's barely even played anymore. Again, I wish Josh Gordon the best and hopefully he can turn it around. Also, news just broke that the Saints are heavily pursuing Jadavian Clowney. I mean, honestly, why not? Give him a prove-it year. They have Cam Jordan on one side. They have Marcus Davenport on the other side. So why not bring him in to see what happens? Again, like I said, Saints might as well just go after him. It seems like the other two teams are going back to the Seahawks or going to the Tennessee Titans. If he wants to play week one, he has to sign now. He has to sign before this weekend ends. Hopefully no more huge news drops before I upload this episode, but I guess we'll see. Again, guys, if you made it to this part of the podcast, I'd like to truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here with me along this journey. For this segment, I have another quote. Stop being afraid of what could go wrong and start being excited of what could go right. From this, I, I encourage everybody to take a leap of faith. I have taken a few leaps of faith within the last year that have brought me to where I am right now. Moving 10 hours away from home was the biggest leap of faith I ever made in my life. Everyone I knew and grew up with, I was going 10 hours away from them, but I was excited. I was ready for something different. I came here and hit the ground running, but always still held myself back a little bit. Then the pandemic hit and made it even worse for me. Now I am here almost a whole year later, and it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. But now within the recent weeks, I started this. I made another leap of faith. I invested myself, but yet I still feared what could go wrong. It took me a long time to bring up the courage to post this on my personal Facebook. But ever since I did, it's been great. I've had people reach out to me with words of encouragement. I've had no haters yet. I know eventually they're gonna come. But I'm gonna know how to deal with them. I'm not gonna let it hinder me as much as some other people do. I believe that everyone is a miracle. What is it, a 1 in 400 trillion percent chance to become a human? We're all miracles. But really, it's up to you what you do with becoming a miracle. If you're stuck in a rut in your life, make a change. Have a leap of faith. Talk to people about what you want to do. I'm trying to bring things to light. The first thing I did when making this podcast was just bouncing around names in my head. Once I finally found a name, then I worked on a logo. Then I made the Anchor account. Then I made the Instagram. Then I made the Twitter. Then I made the TikTok. And then I started recording. But then I knew this is what I wanted to do. So I went out and bought a decently priced mic. I knew that if I wanted to make the next jump, I needed to be better quality. So all in all, like I said, take a leap of faith and always think what could go right. All right, guys, I believe that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. I'd like to encourage you to follow my social medias, Instagram and TikTok at Behind the Sticks Podcast and Twitter at Behind Sticks. Again, thank you guys for listening this week. Peace.